Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Denver Stiff Show. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday afternoon as I am recording at a unique time. We decided that because my schedule, my sleep schedule, is completely adjusted from being the, the night demon that I usually am, uh, I woke up at 6.30 this morning. Uh, the, the, <laughs> the guffaw that you hear on the other side is Mr. TJ McBride oh, of Mile High Sports. Yes, DJ, what, what's going on, man? How's the offseason treating you? I'm not sleeping either. I'm very much so awake pretty much at all times and live in trying to dive into this offseason as much as I can despite the uncertainty <laughs> surrounding it. So here we all are. I love it. Although I am sleeping. I, I will say that. that I've, I have established my schedule to be – I'm going to bed between 10 p.m. and midnight and waking what? up between 6 a.m. and 8 a.m. It's unbelievable. It's, it's, for those it's, who aren't on Twitter, it's always like Ryan and yeah. I on Twitter for some reason at like 3.30 in the morning after a game. Like I, I talking about up. some absurd stat that has absolutely no impact on anything. So, yes, My very Lord, much so I, surprising. It's it's been it's been great and and I've I've kind of enjoyed getting into the off season because it's a lot less stressful. And, and there's a lot less going on. And I, I yeah. taken a little bit of time for myself, for sure. Good. I know TJ can see this over the Zoom call. I've shaved. Like, like <laughs> my, I have no beard now. It's, it's very weird. Like, but it, it's been a lot of fun, and I've really enjoyed it. We're, the, the reason why TJ and I are on this podcast together, first of all, I invited him. He's a good writer. You should make sure to go follow his work over at Mile High Sports and on Blue Wire Podcasts, Rocky Mountain Hoops. But I wanted to have a long-form discussion with TJ. Part one of this discussion is going to be uploaded here on the Denver Stiffs Podcast Network. Part two will be uploaded on the Rocky Mountain Hoops Podcast. And so make sure to check out both of those episodes. We're probably going to record for about 90 minutes to two hours. So just just kind of go for it and, and see what happens. But we're going to have a long discussion about various topics in the offseason that I, I wanted to cover that TJ is, is itching to cover with me. <laughs> uh, there is a lot going on with this Nuggets offseason. I think it's important to at least start from a place of agreement on some of the topics that we think are the most important things to cover. So we're going to run through each of our lists of topics. And actually, I think we're, we're probably just going to go Alter, I want I want to alternate back and forth between you and me, and I will tell okay. you whether I have that podcast topic, whether I have that Nuggets offseason topic, and we can stop and talk about that. Uh, are you ready to go? You ready to go whenever you are, man. Awesome. Hit me with your first offseason topic. 
Uh, my first concern is where I'm starting is the Denver Nuggets will not go into the luxury tax. And we can start on a absolutely demoralizing, deflating, whatever terrible word you want to use for whatever this may end up becoming. There's a concern here. Like They've only gone into the tax three times as an organization, as a franchise over the history. They do not right. dive headfirst into spending exorbitant amounts of money, particularly when they just lost hundreds of millions of dollars across four different major professional sports during the coronavirus shutdown. So there is a lot going on here. We don't know any of it. Like you and I were speculating here because I don't talk to Josh Kroenke on the daily. Like that's not something that people tend to do on a regular I, I basis. I can't say that I do either. So <laughs> Nobody it's, it's, it's understandable. Like, I'm pretty sure you have to reach a certain fiscal level to be able to like have those consistent conversations. But regardless of that Lord, point, <laughs> regardless of that point, um, these these are individuals who are businessmen. This is not a passion project necessarily when it comes to Denver Nuggets basketball. That is why they have only gone into the tax three times when it has made sense for them as a business to do so. Does it make sense? Ryan Blackbird of Denver Stiffs. Does it make sense for a businessman right now to spend exorbitant amounts of money in a very, very confusing and chaotic free agency environment without even knowing if fans will be in the seats next year yes and here's why the denver nuggets are a long-term investment and i do have this as one of my topics i think this is one of the most important questions that nuggets fans nuggets uh, analysts are going to be facing throughout this offseason is that are the cronkies willing to go into the luxury tax are they willing to spend on a team that was on the precipice of making their first ever nba finals and when you talk about it like that, when you talk about the overall valuation of all, of all of these teams, how much value did the Golden State Warriors accumulate once they finally hit their stride? Once they finally hit the amount, like the, the certain threshold of winning their first title, of doing exactly what they needed to do by building around a unique superstar that we have never seen before, and then c- kicking that off into a dynasty. But you know why this is not a fair statement. They are in California. They are in San Francisco. This changes the equation. It does. Whether or not it's fair or whether or not it should is completely irrelevant because it fundamentally does, in my opinion. People are not – you cannot – pull the, we are, we are going to be able to sub, you know, build this sustainable business model of Denver Nuggets basketball. When the Denver Nuggets are the fourth most popular team in Denver behind diehard Avs fans and people who want to be drunk at Rockies games. Like, I, I don't know if it is a true long-term investment. Well, you have to have prolonged success in the city of Denver in order to find that out. The Nuggets haven't had that in a while. And because of that, they've lost a lot of equity with fans. One of the reasons they lost a lot of equity with fans is because they didn't pay to show the team. And when you don't pay to show the team, there's, there's a little bit of a problem there. There's a little, there's a couple of issues that you can point out. And I don't have the inside scoop on the altitude situation. I don't know when that is going to be solved. It is not solved yet. Don't let anybody tell you differently. There are still a lot of things. Until they sign a deal with Comcast, it is not solved. So we have to figure out just how much the Nuggets are willing to commit as an organization, as a franchise, to being a championship caliber one. Usually if you are a contender, usually if you are a team that screams, I want to win, you pay for the things in order to win. That is a roster. That is a coaching staff. 
That is a facility. That is a G League team. That is a TV deal. These are endorsements and partnering with other external companies and sponsorships in order to bring in extra money. You have to go the extra mile in order to make it profitable. It's not just going to turn around, around and be profitable. You have to go for the extra mile in order to make it so. And I, I, I just have a problem with, with until they get the ball rolling, it's never going to be as profitable as they want to. You have to start by investing somewhere. I think that you are framing this wrong, though, in my opinion. This is not to say that either of us have any actual idea of what is right. Sure. But in my, in my view, it is profitable. Like, by definition, they make money on this because they own the land it's on. They own the Pepsi Center itself, and they don't have money bleeding out into so many different areas. So if they do nothing, they still make money. That's are we sure about that? Are yeah, we sure about it, that this year? It's come out that well, okay, this year is different. We're talking about like it, again, long-standing ability to be a profitable business is the starting point of this conversation. If you remove the chaotic nature of the coronavirus and you fast forward ahead five years from now, whatever that may look like, this is still gonna make you money, regardless of what you do. It's like holding on to stocks for them is how it feels like to me. So if it's already profitable. If you're already able to leave it there as a tax write-off and in addition to that, being able to make money on it and own the radio station, own the TV station, own the land it's on, and own the arena, then what benefit is there for a businessman to then put more money into it when he owns the Los Angeles Rams, when he owns Arsenal? That's where I start to have concerns. I'm not saying that he's not going to. I asked Tim Connolly directly at the end of um, the end of the season interviews that we did if the, his faith level in, in actually being able to pay the tax this year and he said the Cronkies are, are a, a group of people that are going to do what they can to put a winning product on the court so they understand it and they're willing to at least dance around the idea of it but that's not enough to make me feel confident that they're going to look at this as a successful business venture when Los Angeles and Arsenal in the NFL and in the biggest sport in the world Major League Soccer or not Major League Soccer World Soccer is so much more important than the Denver Nuggets to them I, I just have to look at it that way because from a business point of view i don't know how else you can't i think the important distinction there is that yes they have been in the black yes they have been able to make money off of everything but there's always the ability to make more money there's always the ability yes. to improve and, and and drastically exponentially improve your valuation and this is a franchise that has struggled with that for the majority of their tenure yeah. And I think there's a, there's at least like in Denver, in a growing market, in a city that I think is growing increasingly willing to embrace the Nuggets as the team that is going to win a championship over these next few years. Like if they are willing to buy in, if they are willing to embrace that, then I think the city of Denver is going to pay them off in kind. Uh, with all there, there are some transplants here. There, there are some, <laughs> some don't potential say. issues. Uh, <laughs> yeah. However. I do believe that. I believe that firmly in my heart that if they are willing to put in the requisite funds in order to do it, they will be paid back in kind because I trust Nikola Jokic, because I trust Jamal Murray, because I trust Michael Porter Jr. And I trust Tim Connolly's ability and Calvin Booth's ability to put together a product around those guys that is a championship caliber product. But you got to, there, there are still extra pieces on the fringes that they have to take care of. 
Yes, and I'm not going to get into the how the fans view the Nuggets. It's not fair for me to. I don't see it from their point of view. I did not grow up a Nuggets fan. I am not from Denver. So that's really beyond my capabilities of understanding, which has led to a lot of the breakdown and communication between me and fans on Twitter and things like that because I don't see it from their <laughs> point of view. But when it comes to being able to make this a marketable endeavor to where you can be on ESPN regularly and that you have multiple stars, I will make this argument for the Cronkies and the Nuggets organization. When they have seen that they had an inkling of a potential of those player, AKA Jamal Murray, they paid him early and they paid him a lot. They made sure that they were not going to lose him. They did not have to worry about the tax. So that does alter this equation quite a bit, but they have shown the ability and the willingness to pay guys a lot and early in order to keep a winning product here over the life of this iteration of the Denver Nuggets franchise, which is encouraging looking forward. I think that takes me to my next point. And the first one that I want to make the topic that I want, because I I don't know how much we're going to be able to talk about the, the tax because there are things that they like, they're not going to be able to do unless they're willing to go into the tax, unless they're willing to, to make some hard decisions there, but nine players and one two-way contract player is a hundred million dollars of salary right now, with the mm-hmm. salary cap expected to be around one oh nine. Like that's how close they are already. Jeremy Grant averaged eleven <laughs> points and three rebounds in the playoffs. Okay, and on its face value, that doesn't look very valuable. That doesn't look like a $15 million player. It doesn't look like an $18 million player or, or however much you think that he's going to get on the open market. Uh, my big question to you and my, my next topic that I think we should cover is does Jeremy Grant come back or not? And is that going to be factored into whether the front office and the ownership is willing to pay the tax or not? The hard part is this is the timing because you'll know a lot about the Denver Nuggets perception about the ability to pay the tax or not by the timing of the way they do these deals because they have the bird rights of all these players. So in theory, if the Nuggets are going to pay them, they're signing Jeremy Grant later. They're going to use up their cap space early, bring in guys, use their bird rights to then sign them over the cap and keep them in Denver. If that is the scenario that exists, Jeremy Grant is in Denver no matter what. They are paying everything up to a max, basically, to keep Jeremy Grant in Denver because they're not mechanically allowed to give an additional max contract out. Anything below that, they are going to do whatever they can. If they're not paying the tax, you're going to see them go full court press literally the minute that free agency starts to try and get him to sign that paper as fast as they can to save as much money as they can. The longer he lasts on the free agency market, the more his value is going to go up. He is going to be the dark of this free agency period of a non-superstar variety everybody in terms of contenders is going to look at him as a potential role player that puts you completely over the top depending on how your team is constructed and not only that you're going to have the young upstart teams who think that they're one piece away from making noise and making the playoffs throwing big offer sheets at him teams like phoenix and atlanta That all concerns me a ton. So I think Jeremy Grant will be in Denver next year. I think he'll get between 18 and $20 million a year. I think it'll be a four-year deal. I'm 100% prepared for all of that, but there are a lot of ways that this can break wrong. Mike Singer and Sham Sharania both reported uh, individually and and separately. Mike made sure to say that it was three. He had it three weeks before Shams. Uh, And he did. It is true. We aggregated both of them. Uh, (laughs) 
that's our job. Uh, <laughs> but we we made sure our, our he said that he believes that there is mutual interest between Jeremy Grant and the Nuggets in coming to terms on a deal. That is the same thing I've heard. Uh, there, he says that it's going to probably take him between fourteen and sixteen million dollars in order to keep him. I'm a little bit more skeptical on that number, but if it is that number, then I think the Nuggets will be pretty happy about that to That'd get a guy it. like him. Uh, a starter caliber player who they believe is going to be like with them if they want that for the next four years to get that for 15 million is actually that's market value. That's, that's just what you have to pay in order to bring in a guy like that. And he's proven his value. He's definitely shown that he has the ability to work next to Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic and Michael Porter jr. Long-term. Um, my biggest question here, uh, and the, the place where I think I disagree with you on is I think that they have to take care of that first. And it's not necessarily because they like, because of all of the financial concerns, I think that that is the springboard decision for the rest of their moves in free agency for the rest of their moves in on the trade market, because if they decide to go a different direction uh, and, and make a trade or make a free agency signing and then grant walks and they thought that he was going to be back then that's a, a really tough place for them to be because I think they have this plan in their head on how they want to construct their team. And if he's, if he differentiates from that, if, if he deviates from that, then that could be a big issue for them. Yeah. The only way that that really functions is if Denver's like, listen, man, like we have your bird rights and we're going to pay you what anybody's willing to pay you. Like it may not be called restricted free agency, but like we'll go up and match anything to keep you in Denver to allow us to continue to do what we're doing. That would allow them the timing flexibility to then pursue other people knowing that he's going to get paid whatever it requires to be able to stay in Denver. That would allow the flexibility to be able to at least exist because they're going to need that. They're not going to have much money like that's people need to wrap their head around the realistic situation that they're going to have like 18 million dollars before the luxury tax to sign five guys and a two-way contract player that's a very scary place to be and when you're a market like the denver nuggets so i do think that it has the potential we'll have to just wait and see i also am hearing that that well first of all i know the nuggets want jeremy grant in denver they did not trade for him as a rental but it does sound like jeremy grant wants to be here as well from everything that i'm hearing too so it seems that there's mutual interest if there's enough of it it will provide denver with a lot of flexibility going forward because they can then use that to pitch to additional free agents and that's all encouraging things to be able to bring in guys like I'll, I'll be writing about this later on, like Danilo Gallinari as a potential six man. Things like that, where you can start to bring in very high caliber players at a much cheaper deal to be able to sell what you're able to do by having them on the roster. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I think it's probably the right call for Denver. I, I think I've been on this for a while, that the the core four of Murray, Porter, Jokic, and Grant just makes a lot of sense Logistically, it, it makes a lot of sense when you're trying to compete with a lot of different teams. And if your formula is to have an elite guard, an elite center, and two versatile athletic floor spacing forwards, then there are a lot of worse things that you could do in order to build your roster. And with Grant's ability to defend up and down positions, with Porter's ability to score inside versus outside, his high level rebounding. I think that makes a lot of sense for the Nuggets, and I would be surprised if they went any different direction than that. Uh, is that your read on this? Is is the bringing oh, yeah. back of Jeremy Grant? <laughs> yes. Is the bringing back of Jeremy Grant uh, 
as kind of a an accompaniment to Michael Porter Jr. Is that the new era of the Nuggets? I don't know about era, but as of right now, it's looking as a great starting point to see what the future can hold for them. The Denver Nuggets are full. They're in lockstep. Priority number one is to get Jeremy Grant in a Denver Nuggets uniform for a long period of time. That's the right. end of the conversation. And this is the other thing. Like I can already hear everybody that is listening to this podcast being like, but Drew Holiday, Bradley Beal, and it's like floating around the mist. But I cannot, it's not going to happen. I want to, I want to nip that right now because there's not a chance for Denver if they don't move Michael Porter Jr. or Jamal Murray to get either of Drew Holiday or Bradley Beal or anybody of that ilk. If I don't think that's true, by the way. That's Uh, crazy, Ryan. I I love you. I don't think that's true. How? Um, Well, considering that Drew Holiday is on an expiring contract, uh, we we could definitely talk about this in in a different segment. But Okay, uh, okay. Drew Holiday is on an expiring contract and it's different than Bradley Beal being what 25, 26, 27 yeah. and under contract for the next 3 years. Drew Holiday's at a different stage of his career and the Pelicans I think are at a different stage of their belief in whether Drew Holiday is a future piece of their team. Um that's a big that's a big differentiation. It's a multi-time all-star arguably the best perimeter defender at the guard position in the league right now. You're not getting him for Gary Harris and Will Barton. It's not happening. I don't think it's I don't think it's just those guys. Don't get me wrong. Like I I think there there are uh, the Nuggets have to be willing to spend multiple picks. They have to or they have to be willing to give a bull bull or somebody like that or maybe it's Monte then, like, Morris that the oh. that the Pelicans are looking for. But I I don't think the Nuggets are willing to give up Porter and the Pelicans are going to have to come to grips with that. Uh, and I think they are willing to come to grips with that because they're going to find out very shortly that whether they, they, they're not just going to be able to build around Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson and also add Michael Porter Jr. to that team. It doesn't make, it doesn't make any yeah. logistical sense at all. Like, I agree. I agree with it's that. It's just not something that they can and should be doing, but well, enough about that for right now. <laughs> uh, so Jeremy Grant, uh, is he a competent replacement for Paul Millsap in your mind? I think that what he brings is so much more dynamic than what Paul Millsap at this stage of his career is able to bring. And I think, I don't know if it's the same. It's almost apples to oranges for me. Like I understand the idea behind like a defensive minded power forward who can help you out in many different aspects. Like, yes, in that very, very, you know, large vein, that makes sense that they are compared that way. But Jeremy Grant brings more consistent three point shooting than Paul Millsap. I trust his shot much more than I trust Paul's shot. In addition to that, the versatility, the versatility as an athlete completely changes this equation. Paul Millsap in that Utah series looked so bad and so old because he couldn't tag the role or Rudy Gobert and get back to a relocating Joe Ingles as a shooter on the perimeter. That's just so much room for someone to to be able to cover up. And the only kinds of players who can do it are these near seven footers who have all of this length, all this explosive athleticism who can close down those kinds of areas. It's the only way you can do it nowadays. And unfortunately, Paul Millsap is just not that kind of a guy. So it's it's how dynamic they are compared to each other that makes me so encouraged for the future because you get a lot more with Jeremy Grant than you get with Paul Millsap. It may not be as high of a floor, but the ceiling, it's astronomically higher with Jeremy Grant on the floor. And I'm also a big believer that Jeremy Grant's offensive game is going to continue to expand. I've always been a big believer in that. Yeah, he's 26. He has the ability to work inside and outside, and he's he's going to help the Nuggets play faster. He's going to help them yes. play a little bit more of a switchy brand of basketball on the defensive end, and I think that's probably the best way for them to go 
uh, so that they don't have to involve Nikola Jokic in a lot of these situations. Um, but it's it's not it's not like like you said it's going to be different. It's like you can't you're not going to have Jeremy Grant filling the Paul Millsap role. You're like Jeremy Grant is his own player. Jeremy yes. Grant is a perimeter defender and maybe a weak side shot blocker here or there. But you're going to play a different brand of basketball, and I think it's going to be with Michael Porter Jr. mainly serving as the guy who defends power forwards and. Maybe they're going whoever, to whoever forward is more dynamic. Like whoever has more yeah. of the ability to impact a game is Jeremy Grant's going to be on that side of the floor. But they're also going to challenge Michael Porter Jr. more on the, on the defensive end to continue to grow his game. Like they're going to put him into some difficult situations in order to have him grow because if they continue to baby him, then that's going to be like, they're, they're never going to see any growth out of him defensively. Yeah. Um, and the same was the, the same was the case for Jamal Murray, who, like they they stopped babying him on the defensive end this year and said, hey, you have to guard. You have to – it may not be you have to guard the best guy all the time, but you have to at least be able to check them and switch onto them and hold your own in the post and do the things you need to do. And he responded in kind. He definitely was a better player because of that. So I have to think that the formula of Murray, Porter, Grant, Jokic is the way that the Nuggets are thinking of going – and adding on to that, it doesn't like that's that's at least a great foundation for the next three yeah. to four years in order to figure things out. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. The Michael Porter Jr. and Jamal Murray growing together part of this. I still don't know how that's going to look. I think that that's one thing that has been um, conveniently overlooked. Like it's much more fun to watch, you know, Michael Jordan, Jamal Murray going off against Utah and getting bubble Porter going off in the seeding games. Like that was very fun, but together we didn't see a whole lot of that work yet. So while Jeremy Grant portion is definitely one portion, I'm more concerned about him not being here than being here. The idea that Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr.'s relationship and coexisting on a full, on the court is not as important, if not even more important to me, is very interesting that it hasn't been viewed in that light yet. And I think we're going to get there pretty quick. But right now, man, like I still got my concerns. Yeah, from what I know, uh, I, I think that Jamal Murray is going to continue to embrace Michael Porter. He started doing that in the bubble games. He started doing that. Like there, there are certain things that you, like even Nikola Jokic was having trouble embracing Michael Porter Jr. So it isn't just a Jamal Murray problem. Uh, like I think. Mm, do you know uh, how many times Jamal Murray passed to Michael Porter Jr. in the first three games of the Utah series? Uh, total. Total passes. Not, not off the top of my head. Three passes, that... Ryan. Three Dude. total passes. Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray are not similar in terms of the way that they are able to play with Michael Porter Jr. and their willingness to do so. Nikola Jokic also didn't pass to Porter. Uh, the stats will bear that out. Well, the st- I mean, go look I need at to go look. The stats, I'll, I'll the stats go look will at bear that stats, out. But he was that's... awful at passing to him. Awful. And and I think that's that's an underlying factor to this, that the Nuggets just had it worked him into the offense. They they Nobody had. Like, it wasn't Murray's fault. It wasn't Jokic's fault. It wasn't Porter's fault. It wasn't Malone's fault. It's just that the timing was all off on everything, and they're going to have an offseason in order to figure it out. I, I really do think that Porter's going to start to be treated like Clay Thompson in this offense. Like, that's that's how he's going to be viewed. They're going to start running him off ball. They're going to start drawing up sets for him to make sure that he gets stuff. Like, I think we even saw in the Lakers series that there, I, I envisioned this play specifically in my head that late clock scenario, Jamal Murray sees Michael Porter Jr. on the block with Rajon Rondo guarding him. He passes him the ball. He dishes it to him. Uh, Porter turns, faces up, and hits a jumper over Rondo yeah. for a bucket. So, like, they can do it. 
Like I, oh, I think there, there is a, there is a capacity for them to do it, and I think there is a willingness from Murray's end in order to do it. He wants to be a champion more than he wants to be like a superstar. I firmly believe that. Yeah, um, and I, I agree with that as well. Yeah. And so, like, he he understands how talented the kid, uh, not kid, Michael Porter Jr. is, and <laughs> he's kind of still a kid. <laughs> we all still. Kids I, he is he point. is a kid, but I I, I, I tend to Freshly I, I want to get rid of that because I am twenty three. So mm-hmm. it is what it is. Uh, sure. uh, Murray is two months younger than me. Uh, it's so <laughs> crazy. Is, I know. It's so crazy. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice. Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, so your turn to pick a topic. I just picked the Jeremy Grant topic. You picked luxury tax before that. What is your next topic? Finding sustainable defense. I don't know what this Nuggets defense is. That's the biggest issue that I have. The identity of who they are changes on a whim. It's like flipping a coin. They'll go from, you know, literally the best defense in basketball to start the season to completely not caring about it when the reason they were so good defensively was because of how much passion they had originally. The fact that they flip back and forth, this inconsistent nature as to how they view the defensive end of the floor is so perplexing to me at this point. So finding true sustainable defense by adding wing defenders and a true rim protector who can come off the bench. Those are two things that I think need to happen this offseason. Yeah, and there there are a couple of easy ways to solve that. Like you said, the the addition of a rim protector off the bench, mm-hmm. that is pretty like I think they can find that for sure. Oh, there's there going to be a lot, a lot of, of bigs that you can get mm-hmm. to. A lot of bigs. And and they have one potentially waiting in the wings in Bull Bull, who we don't mm-hmm. know what position he's going to play, but at least throwing him into the fold. Or he's going to block some. Look like he's going to block some shots. He's going to he's yeah. he's like that's just what he's going to do because he's so physically gifted and has great instincts on that end. Um, but we're going to see it. We're going to we're going to see what they can really put together there. Uh, do you trust Gary Harris to be? a singularly impactful defender in a lineup that features Murray Porter, Grant and Jokic to elevate that group to a top 15 defense next year. Well, they were, I mean, they were a top 10 defense this year. If I remember correctly, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they were very close to that area. Yeah. They're on the borderline. They're, they're kind of in the, the 10 to 12 range, I think. Yeah. So I don't think there's any question. They can be a top 15 defense with or without Gary Harris. That's one thing that I am actually okay with. They are a league average defense. It's just the chaotic nature of them flipping between abysmal and dominant, which is very bizarre to me. The Gary Harris part of this is fascinating because do you need Gary Harris to be a good defense? or are you hurt by Gary Harris's size on defense? Like, this is the constant conundrum that has existed when it's talked about this Denver Nuggets backcourt. Are you better served with 
Will Barton, who's a worse defender, but adds a lot of length and size and athleticism and more offensive firepower when he has shown that he can be an impactful rebounder and a much better defender than we thought? Or do you trust Gary Harris? I'm at the point now when taking everything into account, offense and defense, that Will Barton makes more sense as a starting two next year than Gary Harris does. That's where I'm at right now. And of course, both being healthy with a whole lot of unknowns beyond that. But the Gary Harris part is going to be fascinating. Do they start trying to deploy him like a Tony Allen off the bench? Like bring him in at the eight-minute mark when someone's getting really hot? Like how are they going to deploy him? Because you don't get a whole lot from him checking guys off the bench. Like there's not a whole lot of value in defensive specialists who come in at the guard position off the bench to defend a floor general point guard. Like what are you gaining from that at that point? So that's kind of where my mind goes. So – what teams are you most afraid of from a defensive pers- like like the Nuggets on defense? What mm-hmm. what teams are you most afraid of in the backcourt? Um, so the Dallas Mavericks going forward, depending on what they do, just because of Luca. Like the size of Luca as a jumbo point guard is something that has not been able to be handled. Um, being able to have these hyper athletic and explosive guards like Damian Lillard and Donovan Mitchell on a high pick and roll. So I would go Utah okay. and Portland as well in that same vein, um, and then. Warriors, I, maybe? I'm sorry. Yeah, the Warriors, again, I'm waiting to see how Clay looks. We got to see how Steph, ha- what happens with their roster and everything like that. But yes, of course, like Steph and Clay are Steph and Clay, but they're also not going to be like the high ball screen pick and roll kind of team. Like Denver's shown they have the length to be able to rotate on the perimeter to shooters if they have the amount of, you know, the requisite size to do so. It's not so much just the shooting guards on the perimeter as much as it is, all right, we can run a high pick and roll at you and you have to decide between keeping the corner or tagging the lob. Like that's okay. the biggest issue for Denver. And that's really my only concern for Denver is defending the high pick and roll. Okay. So with regard to Luca, I think the best matchup on Denver to guard Luca consistently is going to be Jeremy Grant. Yeah. I, I like, especially if you're starting Grant Porter, Jokic, then you're going to want Grant on Luca. You're probably going to have, like if they start KP at center, you're going to have Jokic on them. Mm-hmm. And if they start KP at power forward, you're going to have Porter on them. And that's just, that's just how you're probably yeah. going to do this. And I think if you're Denver, you're probably okay with that. I think you're you're good with Grant on well, Luca as, just, as good as you can be, right? Like that's yeah. like you're willing to at least check that box off. How many how many better defenders of Luka Doncic are there in the league than Jeremy Grant at this? There's point? a handful, like, but there's not very like, many. It's five? a very short list. Like, yeah, I was about to say like yeah. five to seven people can check him as well as Jeremy Grant can. Two of them play on the Clippers, like like <laughs> for now. <laughs> for now, yeah, we'll see. Uh, but with regard to the Blazers and the Jazz, we did see Gary Harris come in and have a decent impact in Massive, the Jazz yeah. series. Uh, I don't know. Huh, I think that there's there are some issues with overcalculating for one team or another. But I do think that if you have Will Barton in there in place of Gary Harris, then you're struggling against a team like the Jazz or a team like the Blazers. In, in, in a vacuum, I probably agree with that. But overall, the extra length to be able to recover would allow them to play more um, aggressively as a defense, which completely switches the equation for me. 
Because like yeah, they we'll were see. really like, we'll Gary, see. get over the screen. Please get over the screen. Like that was literally what it turned into for them. If you have the length to be able to have Will Barton coming from the wing to at least disrupt him coming around the corner, which they didn't have at all, that, that whole thing starts to change, almost like a domino effect. Oh, right. I'm just, I'm just sort of thinking about, okay, what, what is this Nuggets team going to look like against a team like the Blazers or against a team like the Jazz? And you, you want somebody on Donovan Mitchell or Damian Lillard. You'll have Jamal Murray on the other guard, whether that's Mike Conley or, or uh, CJ McCollum. CJ McCollum. And you're just going to have to live with that. And I think Jamal Murray's in a good position where he can now take I those matchups. I feel so much more comfortable with Jamal Murray in those circumstances than I ever felt before. Me too. Before, so. Me too. Uh, but you have to f- feel good about whatever matchup you have. And that's probably the, the biggest question mark for this Nuggets team is whether they feel good about – going up against Donovan Mitchell again, who just averaged like 34 in a series and on like elite efficiency. Like we're, we're going to have to see whether they think Will Barton is capable of doing that and whether they trust him at that level. So let me ask you this about the going back to the rim protection part. Cause the wing, I'm not as concerned about the wing defense because you can get defensive specialists who can play on the perimeter to at least like just throw out there with shooter heavy lineups and at least impact it. The shot blocking, sure. the rim protection, that becomes a whole different beast because yes, it's easy on paper to say Jeremy Grant can fill that role, but he's going to be asked to do so many other things. You can't, oh, no, do I don't, I don't consider on the court. I don't consider him a rim protector. I don't consider like if, if you have His Jeremy role, Grant to, if you have Jeremy Grant defending your playmaking forwards, then he's not a rim protector by mm-hmm. definition. That's um, my point. That is my yeah. point. Yeah, so they're going to have to find but Can Michael some... Porter Jr. do this? Can Michael Porter Jr. rotate over from the weak side and protect the rim? Can he grow enough to do that? I don't think so this year. Mason Plumley is not a good enough player in enough you know facets to consistently be on the court to provide that. Paul Millsap is just aging too much to be able to protect the rim of that kind of caliber. Where do you find that without upsetting the offensive ability of this Denver Nuggets team, which, let's be honest, is more fragile than we really want to give credit the offensive ability yeah it's fragile it comes and goes like the wind the ability is always there their execution of said ability is not i don't think they're going to have any issues next year like i really don't that last year and the year before that and the year before that. (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i thought they're going to play porter and and grant more and they played gary harris and paul i'm sorry what's going to change about that next year potentially starting michael porter jr you think I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. Con- I'm not convinced that Malone would start Porter next year. I'm not convinced of that. Oh, okay. So we're uh, when when we when we started this discussion, I said, okay, Murray, Porter, Grant, Jokic. That's your okay. Foundation. Okay. From okay. I consider bad. that in the starting year. I thought we were on my sustainable defense part of the conversation now. Oh, we are. So, but like, but these all work together. These all these yeah. all blend together. And so I think if you have to go into this thinking, okay, what are your starters going to be? I think that the starters are going to be Murray, Porter, Grant, Jokic, and they're going to figure out who the other guy is. Yeah. I think that makes no sense on paper, but it would not surprise me at all if Michael Porter Jr. had to earn his starting spot by coming off the bench to start the year. That is not like out of this realm of possibility at all for me. And if that is the case, this does shift, right? I feel a lot worse about the Nuggets if that's the case. Of course, but at the same time, it does make sense. And to give Michael Malone credit, there's no way you get the defensive buy-in that we've gotten from Michael Porter Jr. if he doesn't treat him in the way that he has and made him earn his role. So there is good and bad here that exists. I Okay, so you remember what happened a couple years ago where Jamal Murray and Emmanuel Moutier and Jameer (laughs) Nelson were all on the same roster. and To literally cut Jameer for them. Oh, no, they traded him. 
They yes, traded for a him. second round pick. Yeah. And and they made sure that they were going to start Jamal Murray and play the young guys because that was the right thing for the organization to do. If that is at, at all a question, if it is all a question about whether Porter is going to start or not next year, I think Tim Connolly takes the decision away from Michael Malone and says, hey, you're, we have to start this guy. It is the best thing for the team going forward. But Tim Connolly doesn't do that. He does not make mandates of his coaches. He did it a couple of days. He did a couple of years ago with Jameer Nelson. No, no, no. Like moving on from a guy is very different than telling your coach who to play. I don't think you're going to oh, see Tim Connolly trade no, no, Will no. Barton to make him start Michael Porter Jr. That's not going to happen. That, that is no, I, that is outside the realm, in my opinion. From like, un, from what I have learned, they're not trying to trade Will. They have no ambition unless you get a star player like Drew back. They're not going to move Will just to move Will. Okay, I. I think that they're like, I think that Michael Malone learned a lot this year. I think he learned a lot about what this Nuggets team and what the, what their playoff orientation needs to be. And their playoff orientation needs to be with Grant defending the playmaking forwards. And then for them also to have the ability to have size next to him. Mm -hmm. If you're starting Grant at the four and Barton at the three, I think I, it just changes so much. And, and I just, I don't see the Nuggets in a situation where they go into the season with Murray, Harris, Barton, Grant, Jokic as the starting lineup with Porter off the bench. That is not, I, I, wow. I don't see it. I mean, it is Michael Malone. Like Michael Malone has proven that this is how he likes to do things. You need to earn it full stop. So, and honestly, Porter has had a great stretch in the bubble. He played very, very, very well. And he had great bursts before then. There was a whole lot of a roller coaster aspect to his play prior to the bubble. And that I don't think that there is enough data to assuredly think that they're going to start Porter. And that's just where I, that's where my mental state is currently at thinking about this team. Mm -hmm. I have not, I have, I, I have penciled in Porter as the starting small forward not penned him in yeah he's in there with pen for me unless they decide to trade him for bradley beal that's that's the only wow. that's the only reason that i could think of that they would actually move him and and even then like i i don't know if that's the right call like like we we, we have no idea because the i don't know i think i think that they found their formula that is the premise that I am operating with in the playoff bubble was that they found a formula that got them to the Western conference finals. And it was with Porter playing 24 minutes a game and Millsap playing 24 minutes a game. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a reason for that because it, especially in the first round, like it was Porter, who was the guy who was the trusted play, who was the trusted piece. It was not in the first round. Oh yeah. He got targeted every every offensive possession the Jazz had was an all-out assault on Michael Porter with Jr. Him. And he stuck with him. Let's go. I mean, he removed him from the starting lineup, but yeah, but he, but he did keep yeah, but he did keep him in the lineup nonetheless. So I've I've been on this for a while, kind of talking behind the scenes with some people, and Porter's minutes uh, in the 2020 playoffs are as thus. 31, 33, 15 in the big blowout, 23, 34, 28, 17 in the game seven. I think that was a mistake. Uh, 23 in game one against the Clippers, 16, 23, 34, 23, 27, mm -hmm. uh, and then 15 in the game seven. Uh, that wasn't a mistake because they found their formula and it was fine. Um, Against the Lakers, 29, 20, 22, 
21-17. So, like, he played him a lot in the playoffs. And it wasn't like he – it wasn't like he went away from him at all in the playoffs this year. I think that he – like, they, they still had their moments where – he struggled to put him in at times, like in the game sevens, like he, he went with his veterans and he wanted to ride with his veterans. I don't think that happens next year. I think the Porter is going to be one of the veterans. He's going to be a second year player as opposed to a first year player. One of the veterans, the dude just had a rookie year that he played only like half of the season. I'm just not here yet. I'm not. I got, and again, like we, we like to argue. I'm not like thinking that you're wrong by any stretch. I'm just not here yet. Um, I hope that you're right because that signifies probably the best stretch of Denver Nuggets basketball ever upcoming very, very soon, if this is the case, because he has shown that he has deserved it. But there's a lot going on in terms of everything else behind the scenes. And who knows? Maybe they will decide that they want to see what they can get for him in trade. But I'm just not... I'm not pen ready yet. I'm not that willing to get there yet. Although, man, he needs to start. If it's me and I'm coach or I'm GM, I'm telling my coach to start Michael Porter Jr. Because you got to know. You got you to gotta start getting them the chemistry. I will say this against Michael Malone. They did not have the chemistry required to play him the minutes that they needed to in the playoffs because he did not play enough to start the season. I, I, that is 100% true and a certainty. But he also likely isn't playing nearly the minutes he did if Will Barton is healthy. So those two things, again, whether they're both true and they're both very interesting to look at as their own individuals, but I think they impact each other an incredible amount. And I'm not sure how things would have played out if either circumstance would have differed in any way. Let's take, let's have a, another four to five minutes on this before, before we deviate. This was actually one of my topics, by the way. So it's not like we haven't cool. fully gone off let's the rails. Go. Uh, my, my, my topic was how much does the coaching staff trust their developments of Michael Porter Jr., Bull Ball, and P.J. Dozier? Because this is I think really interesting. Are, yeah, because I think what they've done over these past few years is they've developed all of these young talents. They've developed Jokic. They've developed Murray. They've developed Harris. They've developed Barton. Barton was a young talent that they also developed. Oh, yeah. 100%. Uh, they have gone with Monte Morris. They have had a lot of guys, and, and even Torrey Craig, although he hasn't been young, he was young in the league. Mm-hmm. They've had a lot of guys who they've trusted and have been willing to put into difficult situations because they trust the development of their talent. And this is from a coaching perspective. This is trusting the front office to give them good players. And they've played those players, and it's mostly played off. So we've talked about Porter, and I don't want to talk about him too much. Like, I, I think he's going to get all this, all of his dialogue. There's so much I, wait and see with Porter. I'm with you on this. I think he's a third star, and if they play him next year and if they start him 30 minutes a game, he's going to average 18 points and eight rebounds oh, yeah. at least. In like, his sleep. Least. Whether yeah, or not like, that's a plus minus on the on the overall stat sheet is still up for debate. But yes, that is a walking twenty ten guy. I think I think he's I think he's a plus, but but it's okay. We we won't we won't even go there. Uh, <laughs> bull bull. I love arguing with your eyes. My one of my favorite <laughs> things to do. <laughs> uh, let's talk about bull bull and PJ Dosha before we before cool. we break. Uh, bull bull is on a two way contract. His mm-hmm. situation is very intriguing because the things that he showed in the bubble were fucking unbelievable. Yeah. And, and I don't know how you don't play a guy like that or at least give them an opportunity to earn rotation time in, in like when you're, when you're building and assembling a roster, when you're trying to come up with the ways to uh, 
when you're trying to come up with the ways to be better, internal improvement is one of the ways to be better. And he's one of the highest possible internal rotation or internal improvement guys that you could possibly dream of because he's so talented. He's so versatile. He, he meets the criteria as a perfect complementary player, uh, depending on what, how you use him. So my question to you is how are they going to, like, what are they going to do with this contract and how are they going to use him next year? So, this might be old news now. I don't know how this has changed, but when Bol Bol originally signed his two-way contract, I started reaching out like, what the hell is going on with this contract? And I was basically told that they needed the money and that they were going to sign him to a basically a rookie-scale deal in the second year. So I don't know how this is actually going to play out or how it has changed over the past eight months, but there is an option on the table that he is a full-time roster member next season. Not only would that save them money because they can get him a lot cheaper than they can get other guys, but also... Minimum level, other- basically. Like, exactly. minimum contract level. It's probably going to end up being, like, a four-year, $10 million deal, essentially. It's like It was, like, team options in the final two years. So it's, like, a pseudo-rookie-year right. contract. Again, not confirmed. I have no new information in the past, like, eight months on this. But that is my expectations as to where we are headed. When it comes to what Bull can do on a court, I'm going to be very clear. We don't know. Like, there's been a lot of fun. We have no idea how that equates to winning or losing basketball games at this current time. And this is where the Nuggets are actually in a very good position. This season, they did not take the regular season seriously. That's fine. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and, and, and admonish them for that. I think it's important they recognize where they can take their foot off the gas and where they cannot. They're going to play Bull Bull to start the year, and they're going to play them a lot because guess what? Whatever time the season starts, games, March, February, whatever it is, they don't matter. They're scrapping them, and they're just trying to get to the playoffs. That's all they care about at this time, which means they have the time to utilize this and see what he can do. I'm of the mind that you have to play zone basically and he's a small forward on offense which is like the most bizarre combination of skills on either end of the court that i can come up with but that might work i'll never forget sitting courtside with brendan vote of dnvr talking to tim Connolly, joking about bull bull and he turns to me and goes you know i think bull bull is a small forward and we both kind of chuckled and then time went by and then he started at small forward. So, like, maybe we have no idea what the capacity really is here. Maybe this is that big of a deal. Or maybe he is absolutely nothing because his deficiencies are so glaring. I don't know which one it is yet, but I cannot wait to find out. So, I think the, the way to evaluate Bull Bull is that we just don't know, like you said. And that it's important to find out. It's important to figure out, okay, hey, who is this dude? He is extremely talented. Let's try to figure out what the hell we're dealing with here. And, and you could be right. Maybe he's a small forward. Maybe he's a, maybe he's a power forward. I happen to think that he's still a center because I think that that's <laughs> yeah, where. I'm so nervous about I, the idea of well, it. But yeah. I think he's going, he's going to bulk up a little bit. He's not going to bulk up a lot because I don't think his frame's going to take it. But his best advantage is as a center. His best advantage is as a guy who can be a stretch five, who can run and operate a normal offense and, and, pair with a normal pick and roll partner and say, Hey, you're either going to roll to the rim and you're going to take advantage of that short floater and that insane touch that you have, or you are a uh, pick and pop five and you can either pop and hit a three because you're going to shoot 40% or you're going to take that guy off the dribble because most centers can't keep up with bull bull on the perimeter. And they're going to have to figure out who best to pair with, because I think that the power forward discussion (laughs) is going to be interesting 
this is where like we're we're gonna get into team building and things like that going forward but he has such a unique skill set that i think you have to take advantage of it he of could course be an, an incredible player Dude, and you they could have try. another all-star potential on the roster he is of yeah. that caliber of player like let's not mince words about that yeah I'm with you, and and I don't know how it's ultimately going to go. I don't know if his all-star future is with the Denver Nuggets because of what they have, uh, but he has that talent level. He clearly has that talent level, and I think the coaching staff should trust their ability to develop a player like that and say, hey, we know you have the natural talent in order to be successful. Do these things, do X, Y, and Z, and we will get you on the court. Yeah. And I also think that they're going to realize they have a mismatch nightmare just sitting there. As long as they're willing to play zone for a six-minute stretch, you will be able to create mismatches all over the court with ball ball playing. That is where the value lies. And that, right now, that could change, and he could become a regular you know, style player where you could play him 30 minutes a night. But he's a change of pace, mismatch nightmare right now. And they can do that game one starting next season if they, if they, if they so choose to do so. And I really hope they do. Next is PJ Dozier, who oh, we'll, we'll just talk about him real quick. I, as you know, I'm partial to PJ because he's a South Carolina Gamecock, as yeah. was I. Uh, he has a great versatile game. Like I, I think he's continuing to develop, and he looks like a guy who I think has a lot more to give. Yeah. Um, what do you see his role being on this team next year, and how much does that change if the Nuggets decide to maybe change up the roster a bit? So they're going to have four guaranteed guards on the roster next year. Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, Monte Morris, PJ Dozier. That we know for sure that we have the, they have those four guaranteed. Will I'm Barton guessing too, right? Will Barton is the next point. I'm guessing Will Barton slides back from that small forward role into a shooting guard role, which will then make PJ Dozier the ideal fifth guard on the roster. Like I think that that is just like a, a glove fit. It just feels perfect because you can get some extra playmaking by throwing him on the court, some extra size on the defensive end of the floor. You can play the one or the two. There's a budding three-point shot there. His intelligence level as a pick-and-roll player is just so much more than people give him credit for. And I think he can help in a lot of ways. I don't think he'll play more than 15 minutes a night. I think he's very Tory Craig-esque in how he gets played going forward. <clears throat> but overall, I love what PJ Dozier brings to the table. And I, the one thing I will always think about is talking to Alex English, who is also a fellow Gamecock himself. Friend of the um, program. I, I yes. totally, I friend of the Rocky Mountain Hoops, which you'll hear about yeah. here in a second coming yeah. up as well. Um, but Alex Ooh. told me also that he, um, he's like, you don't understand the difference of playing with guaranteed money. It's like PJ has been just fighting for his career. Like to have a three year stability all of a sudden, and you're a millionaire, you can play your game finally. So we might see a whole lot more from PJ Dozier next season. That would not surprise me at all. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the roster and I look at the configuration that they currently have that if you assume, and, and I'm going to assume this for realism's sake, that Porter is the starting forward. Grant is the other starting forward. Murray is penciled in, Jokic is penciled in. And you just operate backwards from there. The other four guys, like you have Gary Harris, Will Barton, P.J. Dozier, Monte Morris, all fighting for time. I don't think there's enough time for all of those guys to be realistically happy. That's my thing, is that if you if you believe in P.J., if you believe in his ability to impact the team, I don't think he's going to be just like like I don't think fifth guard is the right role for him. I think it's probably your fourth guard. I think he's probably the the guy who like is the change of pace guy. He can handle the ball a little bit. He can do a little bit of everything. He's a defensive guy off the bench. He can hit a shot occasionally. Like 
but he can also run pick and roll and he can also set up a lot of guys. So I think his chemistry with Bol Bol is going to be a really interesting thing going into next year. And they play um, together in the G League, so this is not like new to him either. Correct. So I think there there is some interesting properties in being able to throw both of those guys onto the second unit. But is are is there going to is there going to be enough time for them? Let me ask you this. So I I put out my part one to my offseason primer like probably like ten days ago. I reported in there that Monte Morris is looking for an extension because he is looking for an extension this year. He is unguaranteed going into next year. So let's say the extension talks don't go well and Denver needs to save money. Do they cut Monte and keep PJ on the roster because they cannot come to terms on a deal? No, they would, they would, they would trade him for a pick. They would trade him for, I agree. It'd be a draft day kind of thing. He's definitely not getting cut. He's too valuable. He's too good. I I should say go elsewhere. Bad, bad phrase of speech. But I, I do think there is a scenario where that happens or where he's included in a different deal and say, hey, we, we don't think that your opportunity is best here. Like, like there, there isn't really a pathway for him to be a starting guard on the Nuggets. Like, no, and he is a starting caliber point guard. That's, that's also very much so true. In my yeah, opinion. I think there's, there's at least an opportunity for him that if, if he got onto a different roster, let's say it's in the Eastern Conference somewhere, that there would be an opportunity for him to start. Like, or Dallas. You think, like, like Dallas would be a wonderful place for him. Dallas would be great. The Knicks. I mean, I I don't want to I don't want to sick anybody on the Knicks, but like like uh, that's that's a that would be a tough thing to be. My but guy like, Frankie like, smokes and Monte in the backcourt. Love it. There's a whole lot of weird basketball nirvana there that happened in the pandemic. I'm sorry. Continue. Though. Like Orlando, would you trust Markel Fultz or Monte Morris more running a team? I mean, oh, if, if I'm Orlando, I'm investing more in Markel Fultz, but I trust Monte significantly more. And that's the thing is that you maybe maybe you add both of them and say, hey, we're gonna we're gonna let this play out and we're gonna see what happens and we're just gonna see, hey, who are we gonna pay to be our starting point guard next year? Uh, but there are a lot of teams that would love to have Monte Morris on their roster, and I think the Nuggets would also love to have Monte yeah. Morris on their roster. But if if Monte says, hey, I I want to get paid one, and I want to prove that I'm a starting point guard somewhere, then it may just be in both of their best interests to not go together. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough thing because if you're if you're the Nuggets, if you're looking to compete for a championship, maybe you don't want to give him up. And also, the underrated part of this is Monte Morris is an incredibly important figure in that locker room. Like there is a lot to do with that because they've had to develop their own leadership as a very young team, you know, figuring it out on the fly. Monte has stepped into that role. To then remove that is potentially very troublesome. So that's also a big part of this that I think needs to be included as well. Monte Morris's free agency is going to quietly be one, or not even free agency. The decisions surrounding Monte Morris are going to be one of the most telling facts as to how the Denver Nuggets are approaching this offseason looking forward to figuring it all out um okay i think that's going to do it for part one man i think we're, yeah. we're gonna head over to the rocky mountain hoops podcast and do part two with tj and we're gonna have a lot of fun tj thank you so much for hopping on guys make sure to check out everything that tj does at tj mcbride nba am i right yep it's a whole lot of chaos on my twitter page <laughs> a lot of cha- oh, oh yeah uh, but make sure to follow him for all the chaos and, and all the nuggets tidbits in there so TJ, thanks for coming on here, and we're going to start part two on the Rocket Mountain Hoops.